really looking at, okay, what's going on in the next 10 years? You know, I'm 34. I still have my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, where I'm going to travel, not going to have kids, maybe going to get married, like do all of this stuff. Now, I'm not going to choose to go to a $70 steakhouse every night, but I want to know if I do go, I don't have to have the salad. I can have the steak because it's important to me. Take a girl and a guy, and they fall madly in love and form a family. Sprinkle in some counseling degrees and a doctorate, a dream of transforming relationships as we know it. And 20 years later, we give you power couple Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. And this is their podcast, Couples Synergy. Welcome back to another episode of Couples Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean. Hi, I'm Dr. Ray. And I'm Jean, and this is our podcast about love, marriage, and relationships. Be sure to check us out online on our Facebook page and Instagram at Couples Synergy or our website, couplesynergy.com. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast or send us any suggestions on topics you'd like to hear more about. And now on to Couples Synergy, an in-depth look at love, marriage, and relationships, where we bring you our experience helping thousands of couples transform their relationships for nearly 20 years. You know, everyone says you should work on a relationship, but nobody teaches us how. So we've created this podcast to teach people what they can do to create the relationship they've always dreamed of with the partner they fell in love with. On today's episode, we welcome Tim and Faith. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. You guys are going to give us some great information about money and finances and how that plays out in all of our relationships. And just to be clear... They are not a couple. And they are not Tim and Faith well, McGraw. <laughs> but they are they are a work couple. A, a, uh, what do they call married. that? Work, uh, work wives and work husbands? Yeah, work, spouse. Work, work spouse. Work spouse. I wouldn't go quite that far. <laughs> We're not going to go that far. More mentoring, <laughs> no, right? No. Yeah. Now, we heard the banter before right. we went recording, right? So, okay. So, before we go into that, um, why don't you guys tell us a little bit about yourselves? How old are you? What do you guys do for a living? Sure. I'm 34. I'm a financial advisor, um, and I help people with money management. And I'm 41. I'm also a financial advisor and married with two kids and help people make great decisions with their money. How did you guys get into this field? Well, that's awesome. So for me, uh, I spent the first 10 years of my career consulting on pension plans and retirement for companies. And the reality was I was getting calls from folks that were 55 and 60 and 65 and their bed was kind of already made. Uh, They they didn't didn't have enough time left to make decisions that could impact them long term. So I'd always wanted to be in the personal market space and I spent some time working with my personal advisor and he recommended the career for me and I've been working with individuals and families and small businesses ever since. Yeah, Tim and I are very similar um, in some ways, which is why we're close colleagues. But I also spent 10 years with Northwestern Mutual before I became an advisor. So I used to coach people like myself and then realized for a couple of reasons that I wanted to make the switch. So I um, was teaching a lot of people how to help other people and giving them this life of freedom and 
um, financial strength and things like that. And so I thought, okay, I can help 10 people do this per year, or I can help hundreds of people do this per year. And I'm an introvert at heart. So it took a lot of convincing to go into a position where I was with people all day. But uh, when it comes down to it, it's the same thing. It's coaching, it's teaching, um, it's sharing information and getting people better at their lives and what they want to do. And um, another big part of why I switched was just that there's not a lot of female financial advisors. I think something like industry-wide, 17% of advisors are women. And so I coached a lot of men and they would tell me, oh, women, it's hard to get them to make a decision. And I'm like, that's not true. We just learn a little bit differently and connect a little bit differently. So that was one of the big motivating factors when I made the switch to be an advisor myself. You know, this is a, a really important topic, you know, for us mm-hmm. in working with couples the top two uh, topics that couples fight about is money and sex. Mm-hmm. And money is can bring up a lot of vulnerability for people and insecurity, right? Because it's tied to food, shelter, clothing, and safety, right? And so when you guys are, are meeting with, with couples or even just individuals, you know, how do you approach that? You know, especially when, when people have maybe... Um, you know, one point of view about money and it has to shift and change. One of my favorite questions to ask people is what did you learn about money or savings from your parents, good, bad, or otherwise? And that will tell you so much. And, and a lot of times couples will have similar answers, but a lot of times they'll be totally different. You know, one set of parents did everything right. And that partner wants to be just like their parents and then one set of parents didn't have the resources and they never grew up knowing anything about money and so they know I want to be the exact opposite of my parents so that's a a good way to get into that conversation and really see what intrinsic values people have yeah I think so often we find that one partner in the relationship seems very dominant with respect to the money making or the money decisions and the other one seems very submissive and Oftentimes we find, you know, even our culture now, it, it tends still to be that the, 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 the male may make more money, but oftentimes the, the, the other partner is making more decisions, right? If you're dealing with a, a, a male-female relationship. Um, but it's often really important for us to make sure we're speaking to both parties and we're getting responses, we're getting eye contact, we're getting um, just thoughts from both folks, um, as opposed to one person deferring to their husband or deferring to their spouse or their partner making sure that we're hearing both perspectives. And very often we find that folks haven't shared that with anyone previously, whether it was their folks, their their pastor, their priest, their best friend, right? They, they, they aren't sharing it with their spouse. And creating an environment where it's safe to make those decisions or share that communication is really important for folks. Well, yeah, and like you said, there's a lot of times too where people don't even talk about it with each other. I just met with a couple and the and the the female partner was like, I'm just really uncomfortable. So we share expenses, but we don't talk about what we earn or what we save. It's totally separate. Mm. So it's it's really interesting sometimes all the different dynamics that you hear. You know, as a consumer, it seems like your field has really evolved over the years. So when I was a young person, I was a single mom, I didn't make a lot of money. I was putting myself through school. And anytime I tried to talk to someone, they would just be like, you don't have any money, so I don't want to talk to you. They wouldn't even be like, how do you start saving? How do you get money? And I think for both of us, our parents were very private about money. We didn't really get to see a lot of their dynamics. And My parents still are. Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
And yeah, I have no idea about my, my mom's finances. <laughs> and, um, and then a couple of years ago, and you know, we're a business owner, so our money is different than when you have a set salary. So throughout the years, you know, we've been, most of our investment is back into our company. And it is so important. We finally got to sit down with someone and it really is true that if you don't know something, you avoid it. And when you avoid it, it wreaks havoc in your life. And so it is, that's why I'm so glad you guys are talking to us and, and to our people because there's so much we don't know. And just getting a little bit of advice, you start thinking about it differently. What would you guys say to a couple that really has, they're in the beginning and how do they start forming some of those habits? What would you suggest? So the first thing that I'd be thinking about, I mean, if we're at the beginning, right? We're in our 20s or our 30s, and we need to start thinking about our finances. Um, first, we want to get an understanding of where are we today? Uh, I use the analogy with a lot of folks that at my house and maybe at yours, we have this drawer in our kitchen that has a bunch of stuff in it. We call it the junk drawer. You may have, <laughs> have one, probably have two, but it's got you know, multiple pens, it's got a couple Chinese menus, it's got iPhone chargers that work and don't work. And first thing is we need to just take did, stock. Did you go of, peek at our drawers? <laughs> I didn't necessarily peek, but the writing was on the wall. Tim has the best analogies. Um, but, but just understand what's in there. And the reality is all the stuff that's in there was put there for a reason, and it probably was appropriate when it went in. But as we can take stock of what's there, we need to be able to help us and help our clients understand what's there, what should get put back into the drawer, what should change, and what might need to get added in for the future. So it's important for couples, I think, as they're getting started to uh, not be ashamed of what's there. We all have stuff that's before us, right? We all have beliefs, we all have understandings, we all have expectations, but let's be reasonable about that, about that. keep it safe, and then let's organize it. And, you know, if, if uh, my wife was listening to this, she'd know that she tells me to organize that junk drawer <laughs> once a year. And if it ever gets unraveled again, it's, it's going to be my hide. But inevitably it does. So we want to have other parties that are trusted in our relationship. that We can share those things with you and it will help us, right? And in our profession, right, we work with folks on that financially. There's going to be other people that are safe in your space, whether it's, again, it could be a, it could be a pastor, it could be an accountant, it could be, there's a lot of folks, a doctor who we go to, to get that perspective uh, and making sure that you're open to it. I think that's a really great point. You know, when you are cleaning out that junk drawer, you don't just clean it out and then it's done, right? It's something you have to constantly maintain. And so very much like your, your money and very much like your marriage and relationship, you have to constantly be maintaining it. And looking at it and not ignoring, you know, what is going on. A hundred percent. And to your point, Gene, for new um, or younger clients, that's a big thing is like your life changes so quickly. You're getting married, you're graduating, you're changing jobs, you're having kids, you're buying homes, whatever it is things change so quickly. So it's not like a one and done. We're going to do this one time and you're going to be set forever. Young professionals, I think you had asked, what would I tell young professionals when they're starting? Something I say all the time is you're making the least amount of money you're ever going to make. So you might feel very constricted right now, but that is not the case forever. And we do not have to do all of this 
at one time because so many people, like you said, are so overwhelmed and everybody comes to me and says, I feel like I'm behind my peers. And that's not the case. We feel that way because we're not taught any of this. And so if you're one of those people, like you mentioned, and definitely like I am, where if you don't know something, you avoid it. And then it just sits behind you weighing over your shoulder. It's so overwhelming. And you think everyone else has this handle on it, but nobody does. We're not taught this stuff. There's not really personal finances. We're not taught what the difference is between a Roth and a traditional 401k or what life insurance to use. It's so it's so overwhelming and specific. So if you don't have a professional coming in, you know, kind of guiding you for what questions to ask, you don't even know what to ask. You're just out there in the dark, not even knowing what tools are available to you. So education budgeting, all of that is so important when you're starting and you might not make any big moves right away, but that's okay. You're laying this baseline for future planning. Does it all need to be done at once? The last thing that I'd share with that, Jean, you said when you're, when you're younger, right? And how do you make these decisions? And Einstein says that the eighth wonder of the world is compound interest. And what folks just don't know is what does that mean? (laughs) And given traditional, you know, market rates, a 25-year-old needs to save under $300 a month to have a million dollars when they retire. I mean, a 35-year-old needs to save two and a half times that number. Like, the ability to start sooner, start something at some level, is so critical for folks over a long period of time. Yeah, that's really an important point. And it, especially if you're starting, maybe you don't have $300 a month and you have 20 but that's still a really important thing to do. And as you guys were talking, I was thinking, you know, I think I'd rather go to a marriage therapist than a financial advisor <laughs> in terms of like, it feels much more private. Like I'm much more protective about stuff like that than I am. You know, I mean, you, people talk with their friends about sex. They talk with their friends about a lot of things, but not money. A hundred percent. I yep. joke with my clients all the time. Like, I'm a, I'm a financial counselor. I'm not a marriage counselor. Um, cause it, the conversations do get a little bit heated cause it is something mm-hmm. again, you don't talk about often. And, and I think a lot of couples, you know, today, what they do is they just separate their money and they just keep it separate because for them it's a lot easier, right? Then they don't have to have the tough conversations and maybe they have one account that they just throw their money in to pay all the bills. And then it's like, you know, don't ask, don't tell kind of policy, which, you know, we have seen doesn't really work very well in a relationship. But I, I don't know. How do you guys approach people like that? I'd be curious to hear your answer, Tim, because being almost a decade further into your life and experience than I am, um, I I do see a lot of people keep their money separate, which there's not a right or wrong answer, but you do have to communicate. So I'll let Tim answer and, and see what he has to say. I think more and more that's true for younger folks, mm-hmm. uh, especially because younger people, so the, the millennial generation or whatever the, the, the moniker is, tend to be getting, people can, tend to be getting married later and later in life. So they're more established coming into it. Um, it has worked, it can work, but I think there's a level of transparency. Uh, what we tend to, I think, see more often is folks that both have stuff already and they're trying to figure out what's the best way to combine it. And to your point, it's, I'll just leave it separate. We'll, I'll pay the mortgage and you'll pay the utilities and we'll split dinners. Um, and that just tends to erode over time. And 
the first transition that I tend to recommend to, to, to clients is, is one, talk about what do you need? What do, what do you as a couple need from a lifestyle standpoint coming into it, right? What pays the bills? And contribute your paychecks to a common account. But determine also what's a level appropriate of maybe an allowance, if you will, that you give yourself personally. And, you know, Ray may want his to go towards Starbucks and, you know, you may want yours to go towards new skiing, right? It, but you can't argue about the allowance money, right? That money's ours individually. The common money is what we're making our broad decisions about. And that way everyone's got a little bit of their own. And the common money is, do we go out to dinner together? Or are we going out with friends? Are we going on a trip? Or those types of discussions. So we see that more often. And folks taking that, that baby step towards combining their finances fully. Um, and then I think later on it gets to be, you know, what if one spouse decides to stay at home with kids and they're no longer an income earner? And how do we how do we go through that transition? And again, it's just another step along the way. But we don't have to make that step at you know, 27 years old when we're getting married for the first and hopefully only time. Yeah, I think I see a lot, uh, like I said, of, of couples that are, like I said, I'm 34. So a lot of my couples are in that 30 to 40 range. And as Tim mentioned, a lot of people are getting married later. So they do come in with a lot of different pieces. And so a part of the, uh, you can't see my air quotes, but the homework that I give them is to fill out a little workbook that has all of the family's assets, all of the liabilities, all of the different savings account, all of the different credit cards. And so many times people come into their first meeting with me and they say, wow, that was this was already so amazing because we've never even looked at what the other person had. And I know this goes a little bit back to your question before, Jean, but a big part of financial planning, to Tim's point, is figuring out what you want, right? What are those goals? Because I might have this vision for my future that's totally different than what my partner thinks or what we separately might have thought once we are getting together. It might be totally different together than it was separate. So really looking at, okay, what's going on in the next two to three years? What's going on in the next 10 years? You know, I'm 34. I still have my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, where I'm going to travel not going to have kids, maybe going to get married, like do all of this stuff. You need money for all of that. And you need to know what's coming to be able to plan for it. So again, with couples talking through those things, as well as the finances is really important as well. I think we're also seeing this uh, issue with the boomer generation, because they actually have um, the largest percentage of divorce going on right now within their generation. So now you have two people or a person, you know, who has their assets and they've been divorced and now they meet someone else and they want to, you know, maybe get married again. And so these two people with their own assets are trying to come together and create something of a union, right? I mean, generations ago, it was a lot easier because you, you were coming out of school and maybe you didn't have a, you know, pot to piss in and you're now <laughs> trying to come together. And so the two of you are starting at the same place, right? But now we have generations that they have all their assets. Maybe they even have their own home, right? Mm -hmm. In real estate. And now what do we do? Right. And to complicate things, what if one partner has more debt than the other, 
right? And so now we're also seeing these prenups and, you know, so I, it's, or, it's so or much. Or children that they want to be right. the heirs right. and it not go to the spouse or the yeah. spouse's kids. So I, it, kudos to you guys because it's, it's, I would it's say it's very complicated now more than ever. I, Tim, I'm sure, has more clients than me in that space, but the clients that I have that have previously been divorced do ask me to keep a lot of money or things separate, not not behind the partner's back or anything, but they, they both will come in and say, we've been through this before, we've separated finances before, we've dealt with debts before, we're just going to kind of keep you know, his house, my house, rent one of them, live in the other, we're just going to keep money separate. Yeah, I mean, personally, I feel like the the prenuptial word has just really negative connotation. And uh, as folks mature and work through life, recognizing that that's not necessarily a bad thing to mm-hmm. say, listen, I've been I've been hurt before, and since I've been hurt, I want to have protection. It's not that I don't trust you, or I don't think that we're going to be together for the next 30, 40, 50 years, but. In the event that something were to happen, the state of Illinois where we're recording right now is a joint property state, California joint properties. There's a lot of these things where it says it doesn't matter what you wanted. If you don't know the rules of the game, that you're you're likely not going to get the outcome that you want. And just because we're planning, so when, when Faith and I are working with our clients, we're planning for what might go wrong so that we can invest and target what's likely to go right. Okay, but but having those conversations ahead of time makes a ton of sense. And um, it just makes it just makes it really easy for folks to say, before you have that partnership formalized or finalized, some of these tough conversations are probably healthy because it's a lot easier to have it six months before you sign the marriage certificate than it is six years after. Hmm. And uh, we're not experts in everything. We're gonna, you know, our job in many respects is to ask great questions and listen and write down things. Um, but we refer folks to other experts regularly. You know, refer yourself, get, get to an attorney that says, if I have a new spouse and I pass away, I don't want that new spouse to get these assets, right? That's supposed to go to my my children that I had with my my ex-husband or my ex-wife that passed away, right? Like that's what we wanted as a, as a family. So how do we have that legacy continue to mature through time rather than just being judged by the laws of the state at the time some event happens? I think that so many people are affected by watching either their parents go through a divorce or going through a divorce themselves. And, you know, you talk about, you know, the top two things that couples fight about is sex and money. And it's, we look at that as like, how does energy flow through your relationship? And, you know, if you're keeping secrets from each other or you don't want someone to, it it isn't about how you manage it. It's about how you share that information. Mm -hmm. And if this is your person and you don't want to share that and you don't trust them, then there's bigger issues going on. And so we see that a lot. And a lot of times people find out about their finances during a divorce. And I think that, it, you know, this idea that you have of if you set it up right and, and prenups are part of that is really a safe feeling, mm-hmm. you know, of saying, I want to make sure that your hard work and what you've built stays intact because I care about you. I'm not just like, hey, it's mine now, you know, 
or that kind of thing. And it also helps the other person if there's a money differential to know that I'm not marrying you for your money. I'm marrying you because I care about you. You know, Mm -hmm. I love you and I want you to be my person. And so we're really strong components of being open and sharing and not having secrets. And a lot of people have a hard time with that because they watched people that they care about get ripped apart. And the divorces that we see, they can they can figure out the parental agreements way sooner and faster than the financial. And a lot of times the financial one breaks the deal and then they end up in litigation. Yeah. It's, it's funny that you say that because it's not the same thing. Talking about it and sharing what's going on doesn't necessarily mean you have to share those assets or that income if you don't want to, but you do have to know what what's happening behind the scenes like tim said even if one partner doesn't work or stays at home they need to know what's going on with that money and there's a million reasons why just from a you know health health aspect for your relationship but i have a client the his mom was about to sell her house because her husband passed unexpectedly and she didn't know anything about their finances was really struggling hadn't worked since she was 20 didn't know anything and they were literally about to sell their house in the process had it listed and she finally got a safe cracker to come in (laughs) to to clear out the house and the husband had a life insurance policy that she knew nothing about so they were able to save their house pay off my client student loans like it was such a big deal and it was this great thing that he did for their future and she had no idea so for all the reasons that you mentioned but just for the you know the black and white of it the day-to-day management you have to know that stuff it's okay if you keep it separate there's no right or wrong answer but like you said knowing what's going on is so important well i think tim said you know the word that transparency which Mm -hmm. is absolutely important in all aspects of a relationship and you know money is not no exception Let, let's take that a little bit further because this is a concern that i personally have mm-hmm. so our kids are grown and we run two companies and we have a hard time keeping things straight like the health insurance life insurance policies and and things that they don't have any idea about mm-hmm. when do you share that with your adult children that's a great question. <laughs> um, there's I no right there, or wrong answer for that either. Yeah, well, there's a level of if comfort. If you have a plan. Yeah, there's a level of comfort you have to have, I think. As, as, a, as a parent, as, a, as an adult, you need to recognize, like, I need to feel comfortable with this. I think even if we don't share it, we see a number of clients that don't share those things with their children, but they let them know where it is and they name a party or a group of parties that are going to act as their proxy in the event that we can't communicate it directly. Okay. And that could be an attorney, a friend, just a trusted person. Um, But personally, I'd like to think that the earlier, the better. Okay. And I have a 12 year old and a 10 year old and you know, we're working now on what's the value of a dollar and those types of, of things. But my vision personally is 22, 25, to start really letting them know what mom and dad have done, you know, for better or for worse, right? There's a lot of goods that we've made and there's a lot of bad decisions that we've made. So uh, I think it's important as they get into that early adulthood uh, to, to share with them the things that you think you've done really well, the things that are opportunities, the things that, hey, what happens if something happens to me? Who do you talk to? Um, I'm 41, so when I was walking home from school 
as a kid, right, there was two people that could pick me up, right? Mom or dad. That was it. If the neighbor wanted to pick me up, that was a no-go, even though she's our next-door neighbor, right? So how do you translate that? What do you share? Who's the right person that's allowed? And I think as parents, we can. there, there are people other than my wife and I that can share that with our daughter, our daughters, right? So here's who they are. And it, it's very important for adult children. I grew up in a family with six kids. And when my youngest sister was maybe four, my dad broke his back and was disabled and never was able to work again. So my parents had a very different life than the one that they thought they were going to have. So that's something in the back of my mind that I talk to my clients a lot about is generational planning. Um, not only do my finances potentially affect my parents if something were to happen to me, but their finances absolutely affect me and my siblings because we are, they weren't in the position where they were able to save or do a lot of things right, not for lack of wanting to. They just, you know, the unexpected happened. And so now my five brothers and sisters and I talk all the time about how we're going to protect our parents, how we're going to take care of them when they get older. And so I always ask my clients that are in their 30s and 40s, like, how are mom and dad doing? Are they healthy? Are they alive? Do you anticipate having to care for them? Are there any siblings or special needs in your family that you're going to have to take care of? And always the answer is, I don't know. I think my parents are doing well. I think they're fine. And so I say, well, you know, in my family, I'm I'm the go-to kid because I'm in finance. So my parents ask me all the financial questions. My mom just turned hopefully she doesn't listen to this, but she just turned 65. And so she was asking me, how do I sign up for social security and Medicare? Um, and it, they, they asked me those questions. And so I will ask, are you the go-to kid in your family? You're the oldest sibling. Do your parents count on you if something goes wrong? Are you the one that's going to have to take care of things if they get sick or injured or something happens? And they say, yes. And I say, okay, well, what if they haven't done as well as you think? What if this fancy lifestyle that you see right now isn't you know, they spent all their money on this great lifestyle today, but didn't think as much about the future as you're doing right now. And then if something, you know, as they age, if they need care, you guys, you're going to be the one that's going to be making these decisions. You're going to be the one that's essentially funding this. You have to, at some point, have these conversations, not only for the parents to feel comfortable that they know someone's going to be able to follow their wishes, but for the children to know, okay, maybe I am going to have to be financially responsible for my parent. That changes the way that I live today. I want to make sure that I can take care of them in that way. So I, you need to know at some point, at least the basics of we're working with a planner, our retirement is set, the house is going to be paid off. You know, if I pass, I want you to keep this in the house or in the family. Or if something happens to me, it's okay to sell the house. This You guys built this beautiful home maybe you want it in the family or maybe it's more important that your kids don't feel an obligation to a house and are able to be financially okay so I know that's a little bit of a, a dark topic but it's it's so important it, it absolutely is it reminds me of our, our good friend who was named executor right of, of the will mother-in-law mother-in-law and he said if anyone asked me to be executor of their will i'm asking for fifty thousand dollars up front it's a lot <laughs> yeah it's it too job. much of a pain you know going around mm-hmm. to these different banks and trying to get you know and, and all that's the assets. if it's set up well it's still a big <laughs> yeah. pain when it's not set up at all it's a nightmare mm-hmm. i was just thinking about that because we have some policies on our kids that we you know there it's whole life 
that we thought, you know, when they get ready to buy a house, they can use that money for that. Um, and we didn't want to tell them about it. And now we're still, Surprise. we're still paying into <laughs> <They're> it. <listening. laughs> we're still paying into it, but we can't control it anymore because they're adults and they own it. It's, it's like their name, their social security number, sure. but they don't even know it exists. It's a really weird dichotomy. We should probably tell them about it. Before this podcast comes out, I think. <laughs> yeah. But that's, those are interesting. So they were minors when we bought it. Mm-hmm. And um, so if, if we ask about, if you think about different pockets of information that people need, like life insurance or retirement accounts or savings accounts, what are some, what are some times in a person's life that they should go, I'm going to, I need to contact and get some financial guidance. Anytime there's a change or something big is happening. So graduating from college, yes, you might be too young to do a ton of planning, right? You've got the student debts, but learning how to budget and what the basics are. Disability insurance is something we talk to young professionals about all of the time. If they're going to be working for the next 40 or 45 years, their ability to earn income is their biggest asset. So protecting that first and foremost. Um, So that would be an example for a very young professional. When you're getting married, when you're buying a home, when you're having kids, those are all triggers to start thinking about life insurance, powers of attorney. Um, My clients who are 18, uh, who have kids that are 18 or older right now that were going back to college, I was referring them constantly for power of attorney because if their kids got sick or got COVID, heaven forbid, they wouldn't be able to access any of their health. Uh, You know, the doctors couldn't tell them anything about it because they're Adults, Adults. like you said. So I think anytime there's big changes, when you get a new job, when you leave a job, if you need to roll over your 401k to not lose track of those retirement assets, just anytime there's a change in your life, that should be a trigger of like, what do I need to do right now in my financial world to keep myself healthy overall? So I think a strong rule of thumb is anytime it's going to be really difficult for you to do it <laughs> you should have done it three months ago yeah okay i think so, we're like 10 years behind. <laughs> right. Right. but we, we talk about that even like like with individual investing right folks like to the human nature in us is to ride the wave right things are going up 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 and there's an old saying right pigs get fat hogs get slaughtered right we get we get greedy <laughs> so we want to buy things on their way up and there's a lot of talk about contrarian views. So, so doing things that don't seem to be the way you should you should go about it. Um, you know, if you want to play football and everyone's looking past, you might want to run the ball, right? There's a lot of things that we can think about that. So financially, if if it's too busy or too hectic or whatever, you should do it, and you probably should have done it before. If you're feeling achy and you have a headache and your fever is 103. You probably should have already taken some vitamin C. You should have seen the doctor. These are things, this is your body telling you it's it's time, and it's probably a little past time. Faith, you had mentioned something when we talked before about uh, when you start a new job mm-hmm. and getting a look at what benefits might be offered and how you can really use that. Oh my gosh, I'm so crazy. I love that topic so much. I get so nerdy about workplace benefits because so many people overlook them. And again, a lot of my clients are 30s and 40s. Like they don't, 
and, and to no fault of their own, but they don't know what benefits to elect. They don't know, again, the difference between a Roth or a traditional 401k, which the Roth is a lot more common now, so people have these questions, but they don't know if they should get personal life insurance or do the group insurance. And it all depends on what their situation is. But um, I see so many times where people haven't even elected or they declined their free benefits because they thought they weren't going to need them, or they have a match with their employer that they're not maximizing just because they didn't really pay attention to the the contribution limits that they had um i see i just see so many people not using those well and that's such a great foundational place and then again when you're changing jobs you don't want to leave any savings in your old retirement accounts over there so that's you know all of that is tied into workplace benefits so how how does someone go about finding someone to advise them i mean there are a lot of people out there right, that provide that kind of service, what should people be looking for and what questions should people be asking? Let me give you my cell phone number. <laughs> <laughs> We're definitely going to put your contacts in, in our show notes. <laughs> I think it's important for folks to really be able to connect with a person that they're going to seek advice from. I think it's also important to not be lockstep in agreement with said party, right? You want to be able to discuss your views. You want to hear someone else's opinion. If a person is going to say yes to every one of your ideas or your thoughts, they're probably not thinking critically for you. Um, at the same time, if you're unwilling to hear another person's feedback, maybe you don't have enough trust in the relationship to, to hear the tough news. I don't think it's much different than what I would presume a lot of it is that each of you speak about with your clients on a regular basis. Um, you know, you have to have an open dialogue. Um, there's plenty of search engines out there. There's plenty of great firms. The vast majority of financial professionals are well-seasoned, great people. Are there bad apples? Sure. They're everywhere, you know, in every, in every field. But the first person you meet doesn't need to be the person that you work with forever. There's, uh, even if you change your life and you realize, Hey, I'm 10 years into this relationship. I can change to another. Uh, we are not married to our clients. And uh, we have long-term relationships and the vast majority of them are extremely long-term. But what are the questions I would say? What are your beliefs? What do you stand for? My daughter's a big fan of Hamilton, right? Uh, what, you know, if you stand, if you don't stand for anything, what will you fall for is, is, was one of the lines in the, in the, in the show. So, the advisor has to have some beliefs. And if those beliefs aren't at least congruent with your beliefs, there's probably someone else that you should have a relationship with. Because you don't want your 40-year relationship with an advisor to be confrontational. Okay, we, we wanna be able to have a good dialogue, a healthy dialogue, and continue to progress forward. So I'm gonna ask that question backwards. When would it be the wrong time for them to talk to you guys? Like, does that ever happen when they call and you're like, I don't want to talk to you? I think the only time we, I think sometimes people think that we're um, banks. And so sometimes I'll get people calling and asking about like debt consolidation and things like that, where, you know, we do plan for the things that can go wrong, but it's a very proactive process. So uh, unfortunately, the only people that I really can't help are people that don't have money to save or aren't interested in in 
not only saving, but I mean, making those proactive steps. So if you're just reacting to this catastrophe, like Tim said earlier, sometimes that's too late. We, we can't, we can't consolidate your debts. We can't give you a loan. We can't do those kinds of things. Um, it's really, um, if you're looking to build a good life, we can help you. That's my clients ask me a lot. Do you have a minimum client? And I say, as long as you love your life or your family and you are excited about the future and you want to build a great future, we can help you. We can, I don't have a minimum client Tim. I'm not sure if Tim's answer is a little bit different, but, um, this goes a little bit back to what you asked before is how do you pick an advisor? There's, there are different advisors out there. So I'm in a couple of women's networking groups and they're all category specific. So if there's a financial advisor in the group already, we can't have another financial advisor. And so I've, I've come across a couple of times where people are like, Oh, we have an advisor and I'll say, well, what do they do? And, um, you see this a lot with some of the investment companies out there and they'll say, Oh, they help me with my 401k or they help me with my car insurance. And it's like, okay, well that's, that's not a full plan. There's a lot of other aspects to that. Um, so I think just just knowing a little bit in the difference of like, do you want a full financial plan or are you just looking for car insurance? Because those are very different things. So I think when, when folks shouldn't call us is you know, if you're angry, <laughs> if, you're, if you're spiteful, like if you're trying. Then you call us. Yeah. <laughs> feel free to give you all a call. Yes. But if you, if you, if you heard some some uh some stock tip and you want us to take care of it, it's probably we're probably not the right fit or if you're trying to you know pull one over on a spouse or a partner or the irs or whomever we're not there right uh, i share with folks we're, we're trying to do things like avoid taxes but maybe not evade taxes <laughs> right there's so so when you want to have a dialogue and um you know just be engaged that's a great time to, to have a, a, a call. Um, but I think it's also fair to say when you think you might be in a position where you're willing to move, move the ball forward. Right. But a lot of times we have to do, do the discovery first, right? If, if we wanted to build a new house, we probably talk to a couple of different architects or a general contractor or a couple of them to say, Hey, what's our vision? And can, can you, can, I'm interviewing you. Here's my vision financially for my life. Here's my intentions. And you as a consumer, I would expect would want the advisor or the professional you're, you're with to share with you. Hey, here, here's I'm going to, how I'm going to translate your vision into a plan and into reality. So, uh, we focus a lot on how do we align your actions with your intentions? Um, but if you don't want to build a house, don't go call an architect, (laughs) right? It, it, don't say I want to build a house bigger than my next door neighbor, right? Have a reason and think about it. And no start is too small. We all started at the beginning. Mm-hmm. For those out there that already have a financial advisor, how would they know if that advisor does not have their best interests in mind? I think, to, uh, so I've, I would like to agree with him and say most advisors 
do, right? A, a common question that I get asked is, are you a fiduciary? Because people will Google, how do I pick a financial advisor? And they'll say, ask them if they're a fiduciary. Yes, I am for the record. But even when I was brand new baby rep and I didn't have those licenses and designations, um, we still are supposed to do the best for our clients. So Can you explain fiduciary? It means that, Tim, you answer because you're better at, <laughs> at explaining that. It, it essentially means that you are are doing the best for your client all of the time, that you're making sure that you're always giving them advice that fits what they want to do. There's no conflict of interest. I, I asked you to explain it, now I'm doing it, but you do it better. <laughs> Basically, there's a number of standards that financial professionals can be held to. And a fiduciary standard is the highest standard that is currently like written down, if you will, right, in the books. And it essentially says that, that an advisor needs to act in their client's best interest at all points in time, regardless of what that means to the advisor. The most common comparison is a medical professional, right? Your doctor is supposed to act in your best interest, regardless of what that means to the physician, uh, regardless of the you know prescription that one drug rep is selling versus the other. Now that doesn't mean that the advisor or the doctor has the best outcome at all points in time because none of us can tell the future, right? If a doctor recommends surgery, a patient can still die. It, it's, it's, it happens. Uh, we cannot predict the market, et cetera. Um, but there are other standards. And uh, the other common standard in the financial world is what's called um, a, uh, a, is it the reasonability standard? Uh, I'll think about it in a moment. But <laughs> The, the, it just, it, it means uh, a suitability standard. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. And the suitability standard is at the time that a recommendation is made that it needs to be suitable or appropriate at that given point in time, but there's no, there's no ongoing or future, um, standard held. So when you're working with a financial professional, it's important to know, um, how does that, what, what's the standard of which we're working? What's our expectation? And I think to your broader question, it's, you know, how would you know if they're not having your best interest at heart? One, most are. Two, have you communicated that, right? Did, did that change? Um, but it's reasonable to totally ask questions of that person. Um, the last thing I would share on that is get a second opinion. Mm -hmm. if, if, if I blew out my knee and mm -hmm. the first person I saw said, go get surgery, I might say, I want to check it out. And maybe someone else is going to say physical therapy. Okay. And those are two different opinions and I want to have both of them and I might get a third, but at the same time, once I've decided that I want surgery, I want that surgeon to tell me this is exactly how this process is going to go. I don't want him to say, Tim, you have three options with the surgery. We're going to uh, get you in at nine o'clock. We're going to do this, do that, or we can do it this way recognize that that person's an expert. I did my research in advance. I felt very comfortable with the relationship and now I'm ready to move forward. And I think it's important to, to have that understanding going into taking that next step. Yeah. The times I've, the times I've seen people switch advisors, cause we never, you know, go after other people's clients. We don't want to step on any toes of any existing planning relationships, but it, it does happen occasionally. And so the times where I've seen it happen is 
when I call them and they say, oh, I've got a financial advisor. And I'm like, oh, who do you, who do you work with? And they say, oh, I'm, I'm not sure. I don't know his name. I'm like, oh, what company are they with? And they're like, oh, I don't know. It was, you know, I haven't really heard from him in like five years. And I'm like, okay, well, again, you're 35. You should be, there's a lot of changes going on. Somebody should be proactively reaching out to you. Um, if you don't have a uh, to Tim's point, if you don't have a, a financial advisor that has a philosophy, um, if you don't have a financial advisor that educates you on things outside of what they make money on, um, if a lot of times people tell me like, oh my, I work with my parents' advisor. I'm like, oh, what what kind of stuff do they do for you? And they're like, I, I have no idea. And that's fine. They might be doing a fantastic job, but then I always tell them like, give them a call and walk, you know, have them walk you through what's going on or, hey, what what's their plan for you? And they're like, I, I really don't know. And so those are, again, I, we never want to step on anybody's toes, but if you're not sure what's happening, if you're not being educated, most people today work and have an income and need to at least be aware of their finances, even if they're not the ones making the decisions about them. Is there a cost for consultations? It depends who you work for. There's fee-based advisors and there's not fee-based advisors. Um, Tim and I both have the option to be a fee-based advisor. Um, I don't. I work with a lot of firsts. So first person in their family to go to college, first wealthy person, first white collar professional in their families. Um, Building that is a passion of mine because that's kind of how I grew up. So I want to share that. So I don't charge a fee. There's no right or wrong way. There's a lot of really, really complicated planning that goes on um, that these people are professionals. Again, you don't go get surgery and not pay the doctor, right? It's, again, no right or wrong way. It mm-hmm. just depends. But there are advisors that don't charge a fee. There are some that do charge a fee. If you don't know what you're going to need or if you've never met with a planner before, that, you know, one or the other might be a good option for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the answer is most folks for an initial consultation, the answer is no no fee. Mm-hmm. And it's totally reasonable to ask, hey, is there any expectation of me after this conversation? And uh, the way that I've run my practice, and I know a number of professionals at our firm and other firms that, that do this, what's the expectation you have of me? And what's what are some expectations that I can have of you? And uh, you know, I would ask, I'm not gonna charge you a fee, but when I send you an email asking for some information, I'd like a response, right? We're not asking for, the moon. We're saying, if I, if I call you, call me back. It's probably important. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but oftentimes you'll see advisors that would um, maybe were, you know, front the time or front the cost knowing that there's compensation in a, in a long-term relationship. And I would suggest that if an advisor is looking for a lot of those, those compensation or dollar amounts up front, you would need to evaluate it. Is that something that's of value to you as a consumer? or or do you want to look somewhere else? But again, a second opinion, a third opinion, all fine. So this is a great question. This will be our final question. Um, we work with people at all different socioeconomic levels, and they all say the same thing, and they all have no idea what they're saying, and they <laughs> all say they want financial freedom. And you see people that are making a million dollars a year, and they're so anxious because they're just waiting for it all to crumble or you see people making 
you know, $100,000 a year and they, they feel more secure. How would you guys define that term of financial freedom? I don't. I ask my clients. That's always, again, part of the everything I do is very goal-based. So whatever you think is financial freedom, if that's travel, if that's buying an RV and just driving the country and not even having a physical house in retirement, if that's just knowing that your kids are going to be able to go to college and not have student loans like you did, it's I don't think there's a real definition for it, which is partly why maybe people don't know what they mean when they say that, but it's not having to worry about money and being able to live the kind of lifestyle you want to and knowing that you're you're covered for whatever it is that's important to you or your family. Gene, it's a great question. And I think it shows just an evolution of what you've probably had with your clients over the years. Because I would say 10 and 20 years ago, we'd talk about what's retirement mean to you. And... In my career, we've started to really switch that dialogue to say, what is financial independence or financial freedom? Um, and it is important, like Faith described, what does that mean to you, right? For some folks, it's time over money. For some folks, it's money over time. Um, but we work to really understand what people want to do. Personally, for me, right, maybe not for my clients, I want to know that if I go to a restaurant, I can order whatever's on the menu. Now, I'm not going to choose to go to a $70 steakhouse every night, but I want to know if I do go, I don't have to have the salad. I can have the steak because it's important to me. And I want to be able to create boundaries around what's important, what's safe, what's reasonable. And I'll share a quick story about this because there was this study done, I believe it was in England, coincidentally. And the <laughs> study was the around yeah, <laughs> study around around two schoolhouses. And one schoolhouse has a fence around the schoolyard, the other schoolhouse has no fence around the schoolyard. And these sociologists are studying the children to see how far are these children going to stray from the schoolhouse at recess time. And the question to us as humans is which kids are going to stray further? Those who have the fence or those who don't have the fence? I just, I'd, I'd ask you, we didn't plan this ahead of time, but which, which students or which children do you think stray further from the schoolhouse? Those with a fence or those without a fence? Those with the fence. Those with a fence. Mm -hmm. And I would imagine you have some level of knowledge of human nature. Mm -hmm. Those who know... <laughs> You're smiling like you know the answer. <laughs> those who know where the fence is know where safety is. Mm -hmm. So they are clear. The, the, the students with a fence go right to the fence line. Those without a fence stay close to home because... That's safe to them. So from a financial perspective, we want to try to find where is that fence line. And it's different and it's unique to each person. As folks are transitioning to things like retirement, it's just as significant of a challenge for us to say, are you prepared to retire at 65? But we also want to make sure that you don't have too much money at 95. Because at 95, you may not want to spend it, right? Your, your, your health is poor or what have you. Maybe you wanted to spend that at 65 with your children or grandchildren or what have you. So we want to make sure not only do you have enough coming into the goal, but also coming out of the goal. So we really work to have a, a dialogue around folks. Of, what does that mean to you? And again, going back, additional questions, right? Peel that onion back. What does it mean to you? Well, financial freedom to me means that I want to be able to send both of my children to college and graduate school, and I'm going to work until I'm 82 if that's 
if that's what it means. Well, okay. If that's your goal, that's okay. So we want to understand that and translate it. That's how you choose the advisor. Can the advisor get behind your goal and not dictate to you what his or her vision is of financial freedom? They need to understand yours and work you towards your goal. Now, Tim and Faith, are your is your license uh, limited to the state of Illinois, or can you work with people outside of the state? We can work with people outside of the state. That's the short answer. Okay. There's a little bit of paperwork <laughs> we have to do to do that, but yeah. it's it's absolutely possible, and especially with COVID and everything being virtual right now, there's I'm working with people all over the country. Yeah, I think it's unique. Our our our, our license and our licenses are not what we call captive. So we can work, um, we represent largely a, a singular firm, but, but, but we can work with, uh, many firms. Uh, so we can present business, uh, from an insurance or an investment standpoint from multiple carriers. Um, and addition to that, we don't have to work locally. Um, I haven't had a face to face meeting in nine months. And I, I think I have clients right now in 23 States and three countries. Um, uh, they all started in the U S. Um, <laughs> but, all over the all over the place. Um, we'll be talking to folks in San Francisco tomorrow morning. Wonderful. Well, if anyone if anyone has any questions or would like to get in contact with you, what is the best way? I mean, I I would imagine you guys will put our info somewhere Absolutely. in the yes. uh, podcast world, but a call or an email is totally fine. Yeah. You can find my all my stuff on social media as well. Great. Yeah. Social media. My website's timothy-jackson.com and happy to connect with folks. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. This has been very informative and, you know, I, I'm sure all of our listeners really appreciate it. Yeah, you know, one of the things that really strikes me is that when you're taking care of your relationship, you also have to take care of your physical body. You have to take care of your home. And, you know, that analogy of doing the work to create a fence so you know it's safe is going to improve your relationship, not just your financial picture. So this is a really important topic. We're really guilty of not doing enough in this area, but and we've been fortunate, so things are good, but mm -hmm. um, we need to do it too. <laughs> <laughs> I love this. Hopefully you guys can tell that Tim and I are both passionate about mm -hmm. what we do. So this was so much fun. Thank you guys so much. We want to thank you so much for joining us on Couple Synergy today. Our passion is in helping couples and people have happy and healthy relationships. And this podcast gives us a fun way of bringing our knowledge and expertise to you, our listeners. For all of you listening, please subscribe to our podcast and please leave us a review. If you have any questions, comments, or topic suggestions, please email us at contact at couplesynergy.com. For more information about Couple Synergy and our programs such as the Couples Weekend Intensive, our online community called Connections, and our premier program called Couple to Couple. Look us up online at couplesynergy.com. And if you know someone who could benefit from this episode, please download it and share it. And thank you for listening. Until next time, synergize your life and synergize your love. You have been listening to Couple Synergy with Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Couple Synergy was recorded, edited, and produced by Dr. Ray and Jean Ketkodian. Voiceover and music entitled Breathe and Let Go was recorded and composed by Gina Gonzalez.